Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi everyone, Patience here. You are about to listen to part two of our conversation with Debbie Awusu Achia on Canadian news and black issues. If you haven't listened to part one though, strongly recommend that you go back, listen to our conversation around Canadian politics and the Canadian economy, and then come back here to catch up on all things Blackly Black Black news, uh, news that is, or, or issues that are impacting the 2 LGBTQ plus community, and of course, news from the world. I also want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening every single week, and I want to wish you a happy pride. All right. Let's get into it. Moving on to Blackity Black Black News this week. New race-based data was released by the Toronto Police this week, and it isn't good. (laughs) The new data essentially shows things that we already know, that Black Torontonians who are visibly unarmed are 230% more likely to have a firearm pointed at them, like at their face, than their white counterparts. Police Chief James Raymer came out and, you know, gave his spiel, talked about some of the the, the data, and apologized to Black Torontonians. Uh, luckily, uh, Desmond Cole and Beverly Bain from the No Pride in Policing Coalition were there, and basically told him, yo, that no make it, yo, keep that. We don't need this apology. We need change. Beverly said that without concrete change, that apology means absolutely nothing. So, friends, what is the concrete change that's being promised? Let me give you a list of the the reforms that were announced. And uh, before I I tell you the list of reforms, I want to let you know that Toronto Mayor John Tory said he was confident absolutely confident that these reforms would reduce systemic discrimination by police in the city. Here are the reforms. New equity and inclusion training for all new police recruits. Racial bias and equity training for all ranks of the service. An audit on the existing police college curriculum. A review of the existing use of force procedure, which I think is the only thing that will actually make a bit of a difference. And the public release of use of force data on an ongoing basis. These are the five things that the police are going to institute as reforms and that Toronto Mayor John Tory said he's confident will change the the force. Thoughts on this? Words matter and he's, uh, well, he's not using words that matter much. (laughs) I was like, what? Because this, what like can we stop with the DEI stuff? As long, as much as we can stop with the 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 training, and start with the consequences. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, the, the more we can, the, the the consequences aren't clear, right? We know that at least two black people in the last 
I want I want to say twenty four months, but but maybe yeah. T- in the last two years, I've been seriously injured, so maimed or killed by police. Mm-hmm. And what happened? You yeah. know, sometimes they're placed on administrative leave, um, and then we stop hearing about it. Sometimes they just stay on administrative leave for a really long time. Like there aren't any consequences. I have my own ideas about what uh, consequences could look like. Mm. What do you guys think, though? What, what what kinds of things do you think would actually change their their behavior? Yeah. So, <laughs> as as Patience was talking about this, I was just laughing because, especially where they were talking about, you know, what reforms they want to implement. Mm. How come when the police do horrible things to communities, the response is, let's give them more money to yes. be able to actually address the situation? And that's why I really want people to pay attention to when things like this happen. Um, and also to also pay attention to the PR spin of all of this, by the mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. If you look, and I follow a lot of mainstream media just to see how media is talking about things because we know that it is a huge institution that like reflects culture and shapes it at the same time. Mm-hmm. The, the news, the breaking news hit for this was the apology. That was it. It was so focused on the apology and not the substance. Yeah. And I think mm. that was very intentional. I'm telling yeah. you, we talk about Canada having a great PR situation. The police? Top, <laughs> um, Top of the echelon. And and I think that's key for people to pay attention to because it makes it so much easier for, you know, the broader public who might not be hip to the T of what's going on to be mm-hmm. like, yeah, I do think they need more money for training. Mm-hmm. Instead of being like, is this an institution we actually need? Mm-hmm. There you go. And so for me... I, I'm very, very curious about that review. I'm very curious about what the public release of the data is going to do because mm-hmm. as a policy analyst, we want the stories and we want the data to kind of shape the interventions we're going to create. If we continue to see the same data that, by the way, Black and brown people have been talking about forever, mm-hmm. so keeping that in mind, this is not new, and if the data stays the same and we do nothing, what is the point? So I have thoughts on like what I want to see happen, but I just wanted to vent a little because this is very, very frustrating. Yes. And we see similar situations here in Ottawa with Ottawa Police Services. And so just wanted to get that out there, folks. Mm. They know what they're doing and how they spin this. Yeah. And everything is to maintain their dollars or to increase it. That's certainly a fair point. I, I think that from my perspective, you know, we talk about where policing is going and how we can make it uh, more equitable, equitable, better for all uh, stakeholders involved, right? And then patients, you talked about, you know, what should the consequences be? How, how, how can we transform our police services? From my perspective, the answers are pretty straightforward. Um, we need to give a little less power to uh, police associations that are protecting bad That behavior. part, that part. Period. Uh, right? That's, that's, that's huge. We need to stop basically rewarding uh, the police who do engage in violent and racist and otherwise destructive behavior. We need to stop rewarding them with paid leave. Uh, we also need to stop allowing them that if they get involved with uh, a violent altercation with the public, uh, they don't have the right to withhold information from the SIU that could incriminate them. 
we need to ensure. I mean, I could I could literally go on, but the the answers are clear. Yeah. The answers are clear, and, yes. and that's what needs to be kind of highlighted. Um, uh, Debbie, I think you you know you spoke about the massive PR machine that uh, police services in Canada, certainly around the world, have. Part of how we counter that is with the data that we are you know seeing rolled out over time. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I think I, I think the, the the revelations of this kind of data kind of started with the um, Ontario Human Rights. Uh, commission's report back in 2018. Uh, and so we're, we're probably going to see more and more like this. And as more and more data comes down, comes out like this, we have to make sure it's disseminated. That's the main thing as well. I think a big difference between 2020 and all the things we went through, all the social unrest that we went through then and all the uh, soul searching that happened, not with everybody, but with many people that happened then. It happened because we were paying attention. Yes. And so we need to ensure that as data rolls out, we are using it to uh, ensure others are paying attention then too. That's how we get that change. Absolutely. And and just to add to what you said about getting that data out, right? And I, I think about the responsibility advocates have, civil society groups, including mm-hmm. one like my own. Mm-hmm. I think about... The, the image I always have is like, who is translating this information and this knowledge so it's accessible to like my Ghanaian elders, like right. aunties and uncles in my community? Because right. uh, they need to know what this is This is all about. And if they're not on TikTok, they're not on Instagram, they're mm-hmm. on WhatsApp. <laughs> and WhatsApp yes, can be an in, uh, interesting <laughs> space for information sharing. But I often think about our responsibility as like community leaders to make sure that that knowledge is accessible and translated in a way that they can learn so that they can avoid the pitfalls of the PR machine. And so I think about that and I and I, I'm curious about, you know, where could there be resources for community leaders and groups to be able to make sure this data is accessible, like where money should be going, you know what I mean, instead yeah. of more training. Yeah. Um, and so I echo everything you've mentioned and Definitely, I think the emphasis on, you know, who's policing the police is something that comes to mind a lot and around the SIU and that mechanism, because clearly something's not working. But yes, definitely. I I think the way the data gets out there is something for us to think about. And I think there's a lot of opportunity there from a policy perspective. 100%. So Debbie, uh, our guest for this week, brought... Uh, a couple of news stories. So the, the first one we want to talk about is uh, transgender youth five times more likely to attempt suicide, according to a recent study. Debbie, do you want to fill us in on, on what's going on? Yes, absolutely. And so I felt that this was a nice article to contextualize because it is of a Canadian context. Mm-hmm. Um, for many, many, many groups in Canada, we often have to deal with a, I think a knowledge gap where the United States has the data and we try to like parse through it to say that it applies to us. And so um, this was really important to share because it shows the Canadian context where we don't have to go using kind of American information, but essentially what it's saying and um, a colleague of mine, uh, Faye Johnstone played a role in, in this, this report, you know, they surveyed 6,800 adolescents ages 15 to 17 across Canada. Wow. And what they found was that, those youth who specifically identified as transgender um, experienced thoughts of or attempts of suicide that were 7.6 times more than their cisgender 
counterparts. And I think that this tells the story or it gives the data again uh, to kind of showcase what our communities have been saying all the time, especially transgender folks. You know, a lot of people see queer representation in the media now, especially on like places like Netflix. Um, you know, we have gay marriage. We're, we're seeing some historical funding go to LGBTQ organizations. And so there's this sentiment that, oh, the queers are all right. And I remember writing about this during the last election, I actually used that exact phrase. Um, but that's not the case. Yeah. If, if we don't look at our communities from a nuanced lens, and recognize that although there's strength in using the acronym to showcase a group of people, mm-hmm. when you really break things down, not everyone in our community is doing all right. Mm. And it goes back to a number of things, um, but for transgender folks in particular, for cisgender and heterosexual, you know, the broad community, they, they can somewhat, you know, they can get their, their heads across on like, gay stuff like yeah gay people we get it you're there cool but we're still dealing with this gap between what is a rise in trans representation in media because we're definitely seeing that but also the ignorance behind their experiences and there are people who exploit that gap and they exploit it very very well that continues to make transgender youth and transgender adults still vulnerable to very specific type of violence in our communities. And that violence even exists within to us LGBTQ spaces. Mm-hmm. And I see this number speaking to adolescent youth. And, you know, I'm very curious to see the breakdown on like the race-based data on yes, this. Yes, I was going to ask. Yeah, yeah, very, very curious. But if you want to get an idea of what the real, mar- like the, the impacts of the vulnerability that transphobia and transmisogyny have in our society... If you look at the rates of transgender women who are murdered, who are they? They are black and brown women who are dealing with the intersection of anti-black transmisogyny, of class, uh, and a bunch of other discriminations. And that, to me, when I look at that data and that information and how it doesn't get to be part of the media, we don't hear those media stories. They don't hit the CBC. We had black women in Toronto who were trans be murdered and we never get to see their, their articles and their stories being told. Uh, But it kind of plays into the same thing around, you know, this is an issue of suicidality and I'm speaking as a cisgender person, you know, but um, this is my job to make sure that these stories are heard. But as a black queer woman who stands in solidarity with my black trans siblings, the fact that those stories aren't heard also hurt me as well. And so it all goes back to the fact that, trans folks are still so misunderstood and that people exploit that in so many different ways and we're seeing some very scary rhetoric here in Canada that has a lot of transgender people um fearful for their own lives whether it's um you know issues of suicidality or if it's actual murder we know that there are people who don't want transgender people to exist and uh as a policy analyst as someone who often is talking to decision makers I'm asking the question, what are we going to do to prevent these deaths from happening? Mm-hmm. Um, questions I ask and solutions we try to see happen, but they only, they'll, they'll implement what they want, right? Based on what's politically uh, feasible for them. And so, yeah, it hurts that I have to like start with this story, but I think it's important for people to hear that there is still a lot that needs to happen. But if there's one thing that I would suggest people do is 
recognize that there's transgender folks in our communities who are leading the way. Uh, we were just talking about that race-based data around Toronto Police Services. Many of the people who have been at the forefront of our communities as Black folks leading the charge are queer and Black people who are trans. Like, you know what I mean? Black and brown, queer and trans people have been the ones who've been doing a lot of the heavy lifting in protecting our communities and fighting institutions where they deal with the most violence. And so if we want to talk about showing up for each other, we got to also remind ourselves, like, who are we not showing up for? Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because I remember um, some of the BLM co-founders, uh, Cyrus Marcus Ware, I think, Raven mm-hmm. Wings. Uh, these are trans non-binary folks from the Black community who were pretty instrumental in Black Lives Matter or pretty central or to co-founding um, that movement, which we've all benefited from. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that. Keeping in line with a Canadian context and the threat of violence that, um, you know, members of the 2S LGBTQ plus community, but particularly trans folks face. Um, just this past week in Victoria, in BC, um, there was a family-friendly drag show that had to be canceled because callers threatened to shoot up the place. What? Yeah. So, I mean, just just going back to what you were talking about, Debbie, um, the hatred um, that we see on the southern part of our border, it's here too. Very Absolutely. much so. Very Absolutely. much so. And, you know, a couple summers ago, this would have been pre-pandemic, so summer 2019, mm-hmm. there was a drag story time here in Ottawa that was um, interrupted by far-right agitators mm. who who were saying some of the most vile things specifically wow. to the parents, but while children were there. Wow. And, you know, we had a lovely drag queen who stood up to these these bigots, but it's important to note that like that targeting of these types of spaces is political. Yeah. It's intentional, but we're also seeing that it's escalating. Yes, you know, it, it went is from let's disrupt the space to we're going to threaten to shoot up the place. What's next, right? And so I'm often the person talking about uh, this with the Canadian public who are like, oh, it's the States. Canada's not like that because we nope. love to, to use that. It's so annoying. No, it's here. And yeah, I think that's is. what this article that we shared, that Canadian context, and then the story that Curtis mentioned in BC, those need to be heard to showcase and remind Canadians to get our heads out of our asses yep. and recognize that violence, bigotry, transphobia, homophobia, racism are very much so Canadian, like maple syrup. So we need to recognize that and ask ourselves, what are we doing to be proactive on these issues instead of just pointing to the states to say, look how much better we are? Well, and yeah, absolutely. So, sorry, I, I don't disagree with anything that you said, but uh, sometimes Curtis Curtis and I, when we're talking about Ontario politics, we were like, we have to remember how recent... Ontario's attack on Kathleen Wynne was uh, for having the progressive mind to know that that gender was was changing and and introducing some of that into the Ontario curriculum, right? And and what happened to her as a result of introducing or or proposing to introduce um, you know different types of families and different types of gender identities and expression like what look at what happened to her and her mm-hmm. and her party right they still have not recovered no 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 and i think 
you know, on top of what happened to the, the violence that she dealt with, but then also the, what the Liberal Party had to deal with from what we can say was a very intentional, like, political tool to attack the comprehensive sex education yes. curriculum. Yeah. What I find very interesting, especially as a Black person and an African, when we talk about even discussing diversity of families, if we look at our tradition, and I... and you know, I'm Ghanaian. I'm looking at you, patients. Yep. I know you're, you know, Nigerian. Nigerian. Yep. <laughs> We've been queering the family from time. Yeah, it's true, though. <laughs> so, uh, my aunties are my, my moms. Yeah. My, an auntie, if an auntie saw me misbehaving as a youth, she has permission to do what she needs to do to correct that behavior. You know, in my tradition, we don't actually have a term for cousin. So you'll hear even our elders mix it up. That's your sibling, even yeah. though that's so-and-so's family. So even the idea of talking about diversity of family, which is inclusive of LGBTQ families, but of so many different makeups of what families look like. From a decolonial perspective, yeah. I'm like, why wouldn't we want to talk about that? When I think of what we need to do to like decolonize education here on these traditional lands, why wouldn't we want to talk about that? So I often like to remind people that the work to be queer and trans inclusive is an, is also a anti-racist decolonial project at the same time. Yes. When we look at the connections of white supremacy to far right anti-LGBTQ sentiment. And so it happens here. And I and myself and my organization at the CCGSD are very much so thinking about what is it going to mean further now that we have a new conservative government with a slightly bigger mandate with uh, more MPPs voted in? Um, you know, the, the perception they're giving is, oh, we're not going to do anything bad again. We're not going to flirt with that again. But no, <laughs> we need to be prepared that it's going to happen, especially when we know and we have an example here in, in, in Ottawa that transphobic people are getting ready to run for school board trustee specifically to ensure that progressive education is not a thing that happens. Wow. Okay, moving on to news from the world. Uh, so I guess keeping in the theme of what, what we've been talking about in terms of that, that devastating threat of violence that, that Curtis brought up in BC, um, some lawmakers are hoping to crack down on drag shows watched by, by children. This is a story... Uh, coming from the the U.S., brought to us by Debbie. Debbie, what what's going on here? <sighs> yes. So, is Ron DeSantis is the uh, politician in question here in Florida again? In Florida. He's yes. everywhere. Okay. Yes, and and this is the same uh, politician. I believe he's a governor. Am I correct? Yeah, he's the governor. Yes, yeah. he's the governor. Yeah. He I forgot his uh, title. Sorry. Um, he has been on this anti LGBTQ. Uh, focus for a while now. We yeah, saw the don't it, say gay bill, right? Yes, we saw that, and you know I've been uh, brought in multiple times in the media to speak to that. I actually spoke to CP24. All mm. the aunties were like, "We saw you on TV." I was like, "I hope you weren't paying attention to what I was saying." Because um, <laughs> um, uh, you know there's still issues there, but we can talk about that another time. Um, that being said, the next target was drag queens. And it is very much so playing on to what we're seeing on the far the right generally, this dog whistle around LGBTQ people being groomers. Uh, and that being yeah. a, a term that's being thrown around now to kind of explain uh, or try to, you know, 
throw at us in response to us wanting to see queer and trans youth in particular be affirmed. They're like, well, you're grooming them. Because anything to do with two LGBTQ people is inherently about sex. Therefore, we're somehow trying to create a pathway to youth being um, violated in some way. Oh and my gosh. Yeah. It, uh, like, yeah. I, I don't even understand. Like, um, it makes no sense. Okay, okay. Um, but it is very political, power- politically powerful. And I'll explain, especially in relation to drag shows. You know, drag shows, drag queens are very popular. They, we see RuPaul Drag Race, we're seeing drag queens and drag culture receive um, a type of attention it never saw before. Back yes. in the day, RuPaul was the only queen people could refer to. But now due to RuPaul's monopoly, you have a drag queen mainstream names even yes. outside of queer spaces for the first time. Yes, You know, when LGBTQ people do a show or a benefit or anything, a drag queens or go-to to come in, it's like the staple for queer culture. So it is very interesting that that becomes the like political target that drag shows are inherently sexual because drag queens are wearing nothing or even specifically they are men dressed like women and that is a kink therefore and I heard that be used before so if we're going to talk about issues around gender diversity and transness that's a whole other conversation but um, the idea that is being told is that parents who bring their kids to drag shows are negligent and therefore that needs to be addressed because it's a perversion and so what what yeah what is it going to mean to these parents specifically who bring their kids to drag shows or shows where drag queens are present um, that somehow it's indoctrination of some way plus perversion and I don't want to lose sight the connection between this and what's happening in Texas with the um, banning transgender youth from having affirming health care. Mm-hmm. Parents who send their kids to the doctor to get affirming health care, whether it be hormone access, et cetera, are at risk of being arrested or having their children removed from them. So there are the connection of targeting affirming adults. Remember, we need affirming adults in order for culture change to happen, in order for policy change to happen. So they know exactly what they're doing in um, simplifying the language so that it's like it lacks as much nuance as possible. Drag queen equals perversion, therefore. But then also, who is the who is at fault and gets penalty? It's the adults who are who are creating the change so that these young people could be affirmed. It's a very intentional tactic, and the reason I think it's the most scary is because, and I'll bring it back to the example of my elders. You know, my parents don't have social, social work degrees. They don't have a sociology degree. They didn't go to women's studies. They didn't go do a women's studies degree like I did. So I'm equipped with the knowledge to know that, you know, gender and sex are different. They're binary. This binary was indoctrinated to colonize people through colonialism. It destroyed cultures, ways of knowing, etc. They don't know this. So when the far right uses very reductionist examples of, you know, and we saw this in uh, banning trans kids from playing sports, that people with this physiology are stronger than uh, cis girls, therefore. My elders would read that and be like, yeah, that makes sense. But who, like the responsibility of who's there to parse through the bullshit to actually be like, no, 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 the nuance is this. That's our responsibility. And I point to myself as someone who 
is a leader in this community, works in civil society, an organization where education is a theme both in the classroom and outside of it. So there's a lot of responsibility we have to push back on this rhetoric to, to showcase that it's not only incorrect, it, it's discriminatory and it's not based on fact, based on research, etc. Because they, they know how easy it is when people are um, politically unaware or lack the like the knowledge to buy into this. And there are going to be people who buy into it. And that's why, I'll bring it back to Ontario, that's why the sex ed curriculum was a great sell to newcomer communities in Ontario. Yes. They, they, they did not include the nuance because it was in their political favor. And what it did is it intentionally drove a wedge between newcomer communities and queer and trans youth, but with no consideration of the fact that people like myself exist in both communities. There's so much I want to say about this because um, th- this attack on the affirming parent is so easy, you know, uh, because I guess you, you can't attack the children, right? You can only exactly blame the parent for you know, not raising their kid properly and stuff like that. It's actually very, it's, it's scary how effective that is. Very. Um, Very, very effective way. And also telling parents how they shouldn't unlearn that they shouldn't unlearn and they shouldn't be supportive because it could be a risk to them having access to their children. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I I don't want to bring it to a different issue, but it reminds me of like, um, like the, the, the abortion thing that's, that's, underway right now but I guess I have a question for you if we're we're talking about you know um, hormones and and gender affirming surgeries and things of that nature if if it doesn't get provided by publicly available if it isn't provided by um, kind of like your your standard doctors because of legislation does it get pushed underground and does it become more dangerous for people absolutely Hmm. I I figured so yeah, because, you know, the intention of some of these politicians is that it's going to prevent people from accessing trans health care to begin with. Never does. Same, it, it, it never, never does. does. No. Same thing with abortion, right? Yeah, yeah. So what it does, it just pushes people to be desperate. Yes. And it pushes it underground, which yeah. means we're more likely to see some very dangerous alternatives that people are going to take. Yeah. Or, or, worst, 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 worst case scenario we see people taking their own lives because they have no other options available to them. Oh my God. And that's not what we want because, and, and, and if I have to speak policy talk to these people, I will. A decision like this is only going to drive up the cost for other social service provisions. Mm-hmm. What are you doing to prepare for the increase in the need of social workers who are trans and queer affirming? Mm-hmm. Do you have money for that? Mental health care access? Do you also, the same things you don't want to see happen to begin with. And so sometimes I have to almost bring it down to these examples, and I hate that I have to do that. But having a trans and queer affirming society is a less expensive one and taxing one from a policy perspective. And sometimes I see that's what we're forced to talk about people in our communities in order for these people to get it. And that hurts the most as a queer person trying to drive policy change is that I have to use these really reduced examples of like, hey, maybe don't do this thing. Wow. So moving on to our next story, Florida is still running amok. 
this time uh, some Tampa Bay Rays players, so uh, some some baseball players, have decided not to wear Pride-themed jerseys. So five Tampa Bay Rays players decided that they would not wear the Pride jerseys that were allocated for, for Pride Month for, for some of the games. And, and I want to pr- draw some attention to specifically what one of the pitchers, Jason Adams, said. He said, quote, It's just that maybe we don't want to encourage it if we believe in Jesus, who, who's encouraged us to live a lifestyle that... <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I'm trying not to laugh. I'm trying not to laugh. <laughs> sorry, I, I laughed because I'm thinking about the lifestyle he probably leads. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. You are lying, sir. Anyway, okay. Talking it's just about. that, quote, it's just that maybe we don't want to encourage it if we believe in Jesus, who's encouraged us to live a lifestyle that would abstain from that behavior. Just like Jesus encourages me as a heterosexual male to abstain from sex outside the confines of marriage, end quote. What is this education level? Sorry, go on. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> sorry, I really, sorry. I shouldn't. Oh. <laughs> so I guess for me, like, can someone explain to me how promoting the safety and equality of the LGBTQ community, right? Which is, which is for me, what, what, what that signal, what, what, what that symbol and the rainbow kind of represents is, is, is celebrating, but also really it's more about the, 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 the safety and equality uh, of that group when it comes to civil rights. And, and what does it have to do with anything that that man just said? Just, are... it's just, just say, just say you hate gay people. Just like, say I it. People just, don't just say like just say it with your chest and honestly that's i think that's the part that frustrates me the most about this and i think i remember reading something else where he was really trying to say you know we respect these folks but we don't we don't we don't respect your lifestyle enough to want to wear something that promotes it and i'm just like thank you for the black like the backhanded (laughs) like compliment that you respect us but therefore the dog whistle around lifestyle dog whistle it's not a lifestyle and when people use that, that yes. tells me everything I need to know. Yes. And so my question to the, the National Baseball League is what conversations are you having from a, and I know we were talking about DEI, but you know, let's talk about from like an anti-racism, anti-oppression perspective. Yeah. What conversations yeah. are you having with your players? Is that even a priority? Because I don't think it might be. No. I think profits are for this particular business and it's couldn't be more evident in what we heard from this person. Yeah. 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 It really reminds me of, uh, when, uh, uh, Kaepernick was, uh, taking a knee and like people were standing beside him saying, I, I don't, I don't agree with, you know, you not respecting the flag. What does this man getting on his knee advocating or calling for attention to the safety and equality of black people what does that have to do with respecting the flag i don't understand well it depends on what you think the flag stands for Mm -hmm. right so so just say it with your chest just say it with your chest yeah what you're saying is that you don't agree that black people deserve equality in the case of the, the Colin Kaepernick example, or in the case of, of Jason Adam and the Tampa Bay Rays, you don't believe that queer people deserve equality and safety. Say it out loud. Because this is... I don't know. I, yes, well, go ahead. I think it was um, this past week on the same subject, I 
saw a short clip from Jamil Giovanni on the National Post. And oh my God. He was talking about this, basically this very subject. It, I, it, it actually kind of took me a minute to kind of like he appreciate just... where he was going with what he was saying. Oh, oh, he made sense? Um, No, okay, he did. Well, let's, okay. let's, I don't know yet. <laughs> so basically what he was saying is, uh, you know, corporate brands in the West, we see, no, what is it? I, I have to get this right. So basically what he was trying to say is individuals should not be forced to adhere to, 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 you know, wear pride flags or whatever it is. And the example that he used was, well, if we look at corporations around the world, even ones that are based in the West and operate in, let's say, Arab or Middle Eastern or Chinese or, well, China, Middle Eastern, Arab countries, uh, conservative countries generally, right? We see that in the West, they'll adopt, you know, pride flags and colors and, you know, kind of promote the culture, but they won't do the same thing in these more conservative countries. Why is that? Why do they get the right to do that? Why? Why? In fact, this is what he was trying to point it as, uh, to paint it as. Why do corporations get the right to do that, but we as individuals don't? But it all comes, It's it, the way I saw it was just another method kind of a splinter you know a cut with a, a thousand splinters another method of attacking the lgbtq community broadly yeah i i i, 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 I watch it was totally by accident that i watched it because i i try to peruse all major media and i saw his video so i'm like let me see what jamil was saying i haven't heard from this guy in a minute i'm like what the f-? honestly this guy <laughs> Since he wrote that book about how black people are basically lazy and, you know, go on welfare and don't take care, like black men don't take care of their... Since that, I, I nothing that comes out of Jamil Giovanni's mouth will ever, like, land anywhere that, that requires deep thought. The guy is just, like, very, very flat in his reasoning. And it, basically what he's saying is if they can get... Um, excluded and you know experience danger uh, elsewhere why can't we do that here is what he's saying like like, basically that's that's a part of what he's saying yeah yeah Uh, so i just found that i I thought it'd be interesting to bring that up from a canadian context in terms of what we were discussing boy oh boy i thought he was gone i thought he was gone with like the first era of ford why is he still around who gave him a mic uh, All these boy. men with mics. <laughs> and that's what I wanted to say. If if cisgender and, and heterosexual men could just keep it quiet on queer and trans business, unless they're going to, like, unless you're contributing to our livelihoods actually being fulfilling, please shut up. <laughs> Jesus. Moving on to questions for the audience. This week, as we discussed, the Toronto Police Service released new data and uh, apparently some new reforms intended to to fix some of the issues that we saw. Training, training, and even more training. We don't think that this is going to make any difference. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think are some reforms that could be taken on by the Toronto Police 
to fundamentally change who is treated in what ways by the, the, the Toronto Police Service. You just listened to episode 88 of The Trip, sponsored by Fido Mobile. And we're so thankful for their support, which amplifies important discussions like these in the fight against anti-Black racism and in support of the LGBTQ plus community. We're releasing pods on a regular basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. You can also keep up with us on our Instagram and through our Patreon pages dedicated to the podcast. Follow us or support us at the drip to but you can also follow debbie uh so so debbie i'm sure a lot of the audience would want to follow you so please feel free to share with us where they can find you on the socials yeah so i'm mainly a public tweeter <laughs> my ig is private you can also find me on linkedin and i'll give you my linkedin but find me on twitter tweeting about stuff at d underscore Osuacha, which is o-w-u-s-u a-K-Y-E-E-A-H. You'll see it. It's a picture of me with some like yellow jewelry. And my um, new header is beautiful. It says, Black women tried to tell you. Like today. <laughs> yes, we did. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. I love to connect with folks professionally on there. So you can just find me at Switch. We love our many non-BIPOC, non-Black listeners. But a message specifically to our Black listeners... We hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and please let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Toronto's very own Be On Location for the sounds you're hearing now. You can find more tracks from him wherever you get your music. Special thanks to Debbie Awuso Achia for joining us today. See y'all next time. 